When I first met our guest today, he was managing a community of game industry people. So he was literally taking a, a bunch of us and trying to like hurt us like cats. Uh, and before that, he was writing for places like Wired, PC Gamer, GameSpot, GamePro. I, I mean, I think he wrote for everybody he could. Um, now, our paths crossed uh, at Riot Games. We worked together there. And now he's coaching developers on how to talk to people on the big, scary internet and engaging with passionate and massive communities. He's at Respawn Entertainment, which means we're going to have lots of fanboy moments with our producer, Shay. Uh, if you don't know, Shay's an incredibly active member of the Apex Legends community. So please, uh, everybody, a warm welcome to uh, the community feedback loop, Mr. Ryan Rigney. Uh, thanks, Bob. I totally forgot that we met when I was at Gaming Insiders. You were the you're like one of probably two people who remembers that I ever did that. And because uh, I was just when people ask about my background, I always kind of I always kind of go, yeah, I worked at the startup for like a year. It was weird. We did like dinners. I ate a lot of free steak. And people are like, huh? <laughs> but yeah, that's how I'd summarize that 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 year of my life. Well, Gaming Insiders was pretty smart. And I feel like in yeah. some ways it was ahead of the curve. But what happened was, is it got too good and too big. Think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They tried to manage it right where it was like there was the select group for some stuff. And then we were kind of branching out. They had me bringing on a bunch of indie people and stuff. And they were making the dinners really fun. Like you'd have like, whatever like it like game directors of like indie star games showing up and hanging out with you but it was like a really then it was like a weird mix of people because it's like mobile ad buying people hanging out with like sean murray from hello games or whatever i mean that sounds to me like 90 percent of industry events where yeah probably that's probably true this weird dichotomy but i like gaming insiders um i thought it was really interesting it was helpful for me because i learned a ton i was working in social mobile at the time yeah and um i knew I was like trying to buy ads. And so it's like, right. this, this is a crazy world. You were one of um, those guys. You were the guys that the indie people were like, what do these guys do? It's like, yeah, this is a mobile. What, what was the company you were with? I don't remember. Yeah. So I was with a company called Spooky Cool Games. <laughs> okay. And uh, Spooky Cool is now Zynga Chicago. Really? So okay. I left about a month before it got acquired. So I, uh, I've, I, can, I can say I've never been a Zynga employee. I've been to the Zynga offices. Zynga is an interesting company. Uh, but not one that I've ever been a part of. But I was part of a startup they bought. I do remember this logo. Yeah, spooky yeah. cool. I have to get something like out there. Uh, and, you know, it's going to sound like I'm brown nosing a little bit, but whatever. Like, man, when we were working at Riot, you, you had like mastered the shit post. Like, I don't, I was like intimidated by it, to be frank, because I'd see other guys that were good at going on Reddit and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like I see your approach and I probably didn't like it, but I, you know, wouldn't like really stand up and say that because it felt uh -huh. like I was being a bad teammate. But uh -huh. then you came along and you're just like you're like literally like the lean in of shit posting. You're like, well, I think this is what they want. So let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird time, right? That was that was like at, specifically during that period of dynamic queue when nobody was talking at all. Oh. Uh, I've kind of felt like it was a way to break the ice. That's why I was doing it. Well, it was, I mean, and you were super funny. Like, I mean, your sense of humor was intimidating to me because I was like, look, I don't think I'm like an unfunny guy, but I mean, this guy's over here literally like doing stand up on Reddit and just 
being rewarded for it as you should have been. Yeah. But you know, when you, it's weird. Cause of, I don't think I'm that funny in person either, but Reddit was kind of, it. I do. It is kind of like being on a stage every time you post a comment. So I, I kind of was trying to channel some of that, like stand up comic energy. Do you have a favorite stand up comic? Was there one you were really thinking of? Um, I actually don't. Um, I always find stand up comedy to be like, uh, I enjoy it. And I also find it very painful. Like there's something about, um, I'm like just very sensitive to the, uh, the lulls in the audience energy. I really feel it. And I, and I start to, and I don't know if the, the, I'm sure the comedians feel it too, but I always assume that they're like suffering anytime their jokes aren't hitting. And so I just can't, I, but I, I still go to live shows. Like I was going to, um, there's a club in Santa Monica uh, that I used to go to all the time. Um, Westside, uh, is it called Westside Comedy? Um, and they have these kind of up and comers. And so some of them just bomb. And I always found it like truly, it was like, it made me feel alive. I hate to say it, but I, it was like really magical to go, to go to those. I'm not really answering your question. I don't really have a fa- favorite stand up comic. I have a complicated relationship with it. I think it's an interesting art form. All right. So you don't have a favorite stand up comedian. That's, that's fine. I'll, I'll accept that as a, as an answer. But I mean, look, the, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is for, for the, the context of this podcast, community feedback loop, it's like you are developing a skill set where you are managing the front page. That's Reddit's tagline, the front page of the internet, mm. but also the back pages because, you know, you're able to get on Twitter and, you know, really build a strong connection with a community and an audience there. So how did you build the skill set to do both? Um, I wasn't good at Twitter for a long time and I still kind of don't think I am. Um, so that's an interesting question. Reddit was easier because I, I've just been obsessed with that platform and its predecessor dig for like, since they started, I mean, I don't know when dig was. I feel like I want to say like 99 or something. I was on dig. I don't know if that's right. Cause I feel like it might've come out early two thousands, but I was there like very, very early. Um, and you know, Reddit is just. Basically, you know how Reddit users are always threatening to like leave and start their own thing. Well, that's what actually happened, right? To make Reddit, like they actually did bail on Dig because Dig had like a really wacky redesign. Reddit, which to this day you can read in old mode, which looks basically like what Dig did back in the day. Um, it's kind of got to start from that. So I was there from the beginning, and I had just kind of like noticed the trends and like how people talk and what seemed to work. It's like pretty data. It's like very data driven, right? Like you can you get like. Uh, mathematical proof of what opinions and what phrasings and what kind of language works on people, um, which sounds like a very dry way to to talk about it. But like, I just kind of had a sense that like game companies weren't talking to people properly on it. Like they were just they were still doing like um, PR man voice. Uh, Hello, I'm excited to announce. You know, it's like no, what? No one talks like that here. What are you doing? So that was kind of that was kind of how I think things worked out on Reddit. Was uh, our approach like on League of Legends was just talk the way you talk to people in real life. And that, that works on Reddit. Twitter, um, like I said, I still don't know if I'm actually good at it. I do know that people like to see news about the game that's like succinct and like pretty straightforward. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do anything that people care about if it's not literally like an update about the game. Uh, and I'm not funny on Twitter at all. I'm, I'm like the least funny person on Twitter. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I think, I think you just, I think you just have to spend a lot of time on a on a platform before you really get a can get a good sense of what works on it. At least I do. It's it's that idea that you have to be of the community, not from yeah, somewhere I agree. else. I agree. 
it's it's hard, you know. I mean, I, I think that digs a little bit into uh, you know one of the things we talked about at Riot a lot was imposter syndrome. What help? I mean, a it sounds like Reddit. You're like, well, I know I'm not an imposter because I've been here for a really long time. Hmm. But what do you recommend for younger communicators? You know that are um, you know maybe not as native to a platform or maybe an older one like me, right? Who uh, uh, you know is like, yeah, I use Reddit, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm of it. I think like, I mean, you just had to put in some time to like figure things out. Like, I don't know how to do anything on TikTok and it would be a disaster if I tried. But I do think for like communications, some pretty similar principles carry over, Um, like not putting on PR voice. It's actually something that like everybody, for whatever reason, I guess, because we all have TV, like we all do this. Like if you ever watch like anytime there's like a local disaster and they put up like the guy who's like the fire chief and you know it's like you know B- bunktown Min- you know minnesota or whatever he do- they'll always they'll when they're start they're like we are assessing the situation uh thank you to the the local like they don't talk like a human right they talk like a person delivering a statement um so everybody has that instinct and you just have to get rid of that and instead be pretty authentic i think that's like that's got to be step one. Maybe there's a platform where that doesn't work and people want you to sound like a, a you know machine or something. But I think that's it. Um, and then, I don't know. And then the longer you do it, the longer you help other people talk in an authentic way, because that's part of the job too, the, the, more, the more it becomes easy to kind of to na- na- naturally do that. Aren't you just talking about voice? I yeah, mean, is yeah that- totally. Is that what you're talking about? Like, well, it's voice and it's principles too. It's like values. Like what, what are, what is the, um, it's not just how you're saying it, but like, what are you saying? Yeah. Or like, I think, I think like you don't, don't just obfuscate everything. If you can be transparent, yes. be transparent. That oh kind my of gosh. Stuff. That's, you know, I, look, I'm probably pretty uh, guilty of PR voice. It, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's twofold. It's like one, I was like a newspaper journalist. And so like AP style was like kind of beaten into me. Like, yep like beaten into me. I got mm-hmm. hazed by the copy desk. Thank you for doing so. It made me a better writer and a better yeah. reporter, but it was hard. And so you get a little, I think a little rigid with your words. Um, and then, you know, you write press releases and the media want them to look a very specific way because they need to grab it, take it, decide if they want to do something with it and move fast. Whereas it's all this contextual information on the web you know, when you're talking to people, cause they want, they don't necessarily need like the news from you in a Reddit thread. They need like mm-hmm. the why or the, mm-hmm. the how, or the, you know, they need, they need specifics. Right. Yeah. And I try to like for stuff that we put out more and more, it kind of is like a press release where the target audience is just players. Like that's how I kind of see our blogs that we do. Like, it's it's giving you all everything you need to know, and then if you want to keep reading, it's got the well, you know, like you said, AP style. What do they call it? Inverted pyramid or whatever. Like the further yep. down you go, like in patch notes or whatever, the more you get. Um, and then I actually try to fit all the why in there so that I don't have to go on Reddit and follow up. But usually you do because you forget something or you miss some nuance or whatever. Um, but yeah, I I agree. It's also level of depth, right? Like the people on Reddit may want even more than you can share in a patch note. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do always, every time. Okay, um, so you you've been a writer, you've been a community manager, and now you're like kind of I don't know what uh, you know director level, like running mm-hmm. a big big shop, big games. 
You know, what was the transition like for you going from, you know, like kind of like talk to me a little about transitions that you made in your career, like going mm-hmm. from we talked about kind of your origins to where you're at now. Yeah. The way I always tell my story is like uh, when I was 16, I started lying to video game magazines about my age. So they let me write for them. And I did that for like a while until, you know, I was actually I had a, I had enough of a resume that people didn't even ask my age. You know, they just assumed I was 25. I didn't have to lie and tell them I was. Um and I did that for a while, uh, kind of worked my way up the magazine world, GamePro, which, you know, got, you know, rest in peace. God bless. <sighs> uh, had a, actually, that was like cool because before GamePro, I wrote for this website called Touch Arcade, which is still going. And it was like yeah. the, the iPhone games website. Absolutely. So, so then GamePro was like, yo, we got to stay hit with the kids. You know, let's get somebody right about iPhone games. So that was like my end there. Um, so I did that worked my way up like kind of got contract work here and there with pc gamer um places like oh there's all these there's like places that i forget about now that i hope i wonder if they still mac life magazine probably doesn't i think it still rolls really i think i think, I think so yeah. i mean a future i'm pretty sure it's a future magazine and so all the future uh, stuff is like it gets a little like is it still around maybe like just in the uk subsidized by something it's like in indonesia yeah, yeah. uh well that's funny because like I started to pick up that that was the trend, right? That you're like, where, where, where are all these magazines going? But I didn't pick up on it fast enough because I went and got a degree in journalism. Like I spent four years being like, oh yeah, this is my future. There's, there's economic possibilities in this career. <laughs> uh, be super smart. So even after having written for like Wired for two years, it, it, it was crazy. Like I wasn't, I was graduating with like no job prospects in media. Like yeah. there, there was no chance. And I'd been really, I'd been like busting my tail in it for like six years, you know? So it, it like, it sucked, man. Um, but uh, I feel that pain. Yeah. Our boy, David K, who, who runs Ga- Gaming Insiders, uh, you know, had a job for me in Los Angeles that was pretty wild and that was game, game industry adjacent. Uh, so I took that. That was a pretty rough transition, but um, learned a lot, had a lot of fun. The job I took at Riot at first was sort of, it was more like an editorial job, right? It was yeah. just my title. You were with, with Foster's team, right? Mike Foster? Yeah. I was reporting to Sarah Shoots and Foster started like a, a month yeah. before me, I think. And um, we were just doing, you know, Riot Riot was pure chaos back then. Like it was just lunacy. Like they were, they were just like, I don't know, pop the wheels on your desk, go work on whatever, man. Here's a documentary. You want to do something else? So I like, wound up working on like the League of Legends official art book, doing the copy on that. And that around that time, I started helping people out writing uh, just like updates and communications to players. And that's kind of when the thing... It, that's how I, I started slowly moving into like comms, where it was like, oh, yeah. I, it's not just writing uh, to be entertaining or writing for... It's like writing um, as part of like a product rollout, like part of the marketing campaign. Um, and weirdly, yeah. and that sounds way more boring, but actually I was having a lot of fun with it because I was kind of you know putting personality into it and players you know having fun talking to players on reddit or wherever else so that's how i kind of moved into comps that was the big that was i i can see roughly like two big transitions in there from like writing for websites slash magazines to doing games industry stuff in la to uh and but still in kind of more of an editorial community role and yep. then the shift into like full-blown comms you know sort of leaning more into the pr side of things that was at like that was in like 2016 or so, right? So I've been doing that ever since. Well, let me throw a framework at you because I've been kind of trying to bandy this about a little bit, um, and it's not complete, but I think it fits with some of what you're talking about. Um, 
and, and this isn't mine. Like some of this I've, I've probably cribbed from other people. But so to me, like public relations is like actually about, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. And your job, if you are like a public relations professional is kind of like, you need to influence internally to fix some problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Communications is kind of like how you explain that, right? How do you explain what you're doing and why? Um, and the media relations is like managing media communities, you know, working with the community. Um, and, and then I think what you're talking about, which I really liked at Riot, and I haven't seen other companies leverage it, but they called it player relations. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of that PR, like, hey, you have to help make actions that are going to affect players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the communications part of it, which, you know, they started to call it less player relations, more communications is explaining the why. Um, so I feel like you kind of touched on, you were in communications, you were writing, you were telling the why, you were telling the story, you were obviously a very talented writer, but you started to realize you want to do more, you want to have a greater impact. And part of that is helping influence decisions. Yeah, and totally. It seems like you were able to do that. Yeah, I I, I think it is hard. Everyone is coming up with their own frameworks in their head right now. I think mine, I don't, I'm not 100% married to, but I have a framework that I also used to think about it, um, which is kind of like, how do you, how do the people at the company kind of fit together? Like whose job is what? The thing that I really like is to just see communications as like an overarching thing where the job is to connect the developers to the players and facilitate communication both ways. So you're helping devs understand what it is that players are saying and where they're saying it and why, right? Um, which I think do, then does have an impact on the kind of decisions they make, right? You're, you're, help, you're helping them make informed decisions. And you're figuring out how to get devs their message to players. So the way you do that is through either, I mean, the, the, like, the like marketing way to talk about it is earned media, right? And I think press, mm-hmm. PR, public relations is only one. It's like a sub-bucket of a sub-bucket. It's a sub-bucket of earned media, which is a sub-bucket of communications, right? Influencers are another type of earned media. Um, yes, owned I channels. Right, like your Twitter account or your website or whatever. I think if you're thinking about it from the from like the communications level, you're saying, "All right, what do we need to say and who do you need to say it to?" And then you pick which channel yep. you you use. So I really like. So we have like a we have a really integrated team at Respawn, and actually EA as a whole is kind of moving more to that model, um, where we can just we can get together and say, "What what do we want to say and who do we want to say it through, or where do we want to say it?" And uh, and that and it's all part. That decision is just all part of helping developers like get the word out the way that right. they actually, so that they could be understood and then they can get better feedback. Yeah. No, I mean, I like it. I, I talk on the consulting side. I talk about integrated communications all the time, you know, and it's weird because I have some clients that are like, well, we just want you to do media relations. And I go, I can do that, but sure. it's not going to be as effective. No, it's know? very, it, it's just one part of the tool set, right? Like right. you got to be able to, but it's better if you can say, um, here's the message and now let's get that in the press release and in the tweet and maybe on a blog, you know, and like a deep dive or whatever, right? Like yep. that, that just helps everybody get it because not everybody's in the same place. Not everybody's reading your blog or somebody else's website or your Twitter account. So you kind of got to, you kind of got to be able to bust it all out. You talked about 16 year old Ryan, which is funny. You made me think of, do you know Patrick uh, Klepek? Cause he mm-hmm. was also another very like, He's stuck with it. He's still in journalism, but um, oh yeah, he was like he the, was really uh, young as well. He was all over the place. Yeah, 
his dad would like take him to E3 when he was like a teenager and he would get like a press pass. Um, yeah, that's uh, sick. So what is, um, you know, we talked about it offline, but you're originally from Mississippi, um, mm-hmm. which is a far, far ways away from, you know, where we think of kind of the epicenter of gaming. So what does, you know, <laughs> yes. what does, what does 13 year old Ryan think about modern day Ryan and, and what you've managed to pull off? Oh uh, man. Um, dang. It's actually crazy. I, I would have never thought that I would be working on like, like a game like apex like my wildest dream was that i could be uh adjacent to that that i could be writing about someone else making games like that's what i was thinking and i was going to be happy with that outcome i was going to be delighted if i could be writing for like big publications about games um not that there's anything wrong with that but that's really i was like super set on that as my career from a from a young age i was like i'm going to be a writer i actually um I loved Wired Magazine from the time I was like 13. Like I was like young, like reading. Actually, and before that, it was like as a kid, as a kid kid, it was Nintendo Power. That was like, I was hooked on magazines. Like that was what I thought I was going to do. So I think 13-year-old me would be just totally blown away that I would be, uh, that I'd be working with people that actually made the games. Like my boss, I had this, I had that, I had a lot of like shocks when I went to Riot because like when I first got there, I was sitting right next to Ghostcrawler who is like the dude like I everybody knows him from World of Warcraft but like one of my favorite games ever is Age of Empires 2 and he was like you know one of the lead or I think maybe the lead designer I know he was the lead lead on Age of Empires 3 um that blew my mind one of my other favorite games in college was uh Halo Reach and so that later Joe Tung was my manager my direct manager and I was just like blown away by that. you know he was the lead producer in that game so that I've, I continue to be blown away by the people that I get to work with because um, they really are. It's it's actually surprisingly not one of those never meet your hero situations. Like people that work on games, there's a lot of really great people that they actually are really cool. Like Greg, Greg Street, Ghostcrawler, he really is you know an amazing person to get to know. So it's Joe. Yeah. So I feel I feel blessed all the time, man. And you can tell with guys like that, they just their careers just keep going and you know, a certain direction. I mean, Joe mm-hmm. is starting theory craft and Greg is going to make a league of legends, MMORPG, like uh, holy up into the right, up into the right yeah. to the moon. Yeah, right. I yeah, mean, they're doing both good. of those are, are wild. Um, okay. So 13 year old, you is like, I've met my heroes. They lived up to the hype. What do you tell to the, to the, you know, what's kind of your advice now? I'm sure you get this question all the time. You know, we've got Shay here. He's kind of a newcomer to the industry. You know, what's your advice to someone that's trying to get into this industry? And, you know, I know for me, I always say, well, it's changed a lot. When I got in, mm-hmm. I was very lucky. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as, as it wasn't, the demand wasn't there. You know, yeah. it just, it wasn't as global. It wasn't as big. It wasn't, it wasn't as, the money was, was coming, but it wasn't like it yeah. is today. Um, yeah. You know, what, what do you, what do you tell people? Um, what worked for me probably won't work for others, but it's there's a lot more opportunities. Like I, I totally agree. It's a totally different even in the last like five or six years, man. Oh, like so it's, different. The infrastructure that built up like when I first got to Riot, I was like, gee, I, I was like, Jesus, this esports thing, huh? Like what are these kids gonna do after they quit playing? And now it's like, oh my God, there's this massive like ecosystem built up around it. Like you're not worried about them. Well, first of all, they're already making ten times as much money as you, even if you're like working on games. And the second of all, there's like so many jobs. Uh, so I don't know, man. I, it's there are a lot of entry points. I guess my advice to people who are newer to it is 
try try a bunch of entry points, get really good at something, uh, and it should work out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or if that's good advice. It kind of worked out for me that way because I was just so determined to be good at writing to to make writing a thing, and I got a job as a writer at a video game company, right? I think if you I think if you take that approach to whatever it is your craft is, um, it, it'll give you better odds than if you're, uh, you know, just randomly sending resumes out. So I I have an answer that I give. Um, it's changed a little bit, mm-hmm. but it used to be because you know most people they want to make games, and so sure. mo- most of the time I say we'll make a game. Sure. But I've actually changed that, and uh, and now I say. Make a mod of a game. Oh yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, if you want to be a game designer, like that is the answer that any game designer will give you is like not just make something, but make something and finish it. Like because yep. that proves that you can. That you're because yep. everybody has started their mod. Yep. Everybody has started yep. their mod. I've even I've worked at like when I was in college, my, me and my buddies like released like two Xbox Live indie games or whatever. Nice. Uh, or was it? It was one Xbox Live indie game and an iPhone game, and they were both kind of half finished. Like they weren't really all the way. I think if we had like pursued that further and kind of taken it, you know, taken it all the way to the end, it, it might have been a different path for some of us. But uh, no regrets though. But like, yeah, I, that's the advice that you'll get from any game designer. Like, just make something and finish it. See it all the way through. Well, I and the reason why I say mods is because I think mods do two things. One, they they help the the industry see that you understand. Uh, an existing community and an existing mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you start to learn about the commercialism of the industry. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to make a mod for an existing game, that means that you're going to make uh, an already popular product better. Mm-hmm. And, and you, and you know, any designer or anybody on the business side can kind of see and understand it. So that's kind of where I've, I've pivoted. I used to just be like, Oh, just go make a game. But now I'm like, Oh, you should make a mod. What's yeah. your favorite game? Make a mod. I agree with that. There's and there's starting to be there's starting to be some money in that too, even though that's not the point. Like you should just do it. You should just do it to do it so that you can get better, so you could develop your craft. But it's interesting how like I saw some crazy figure of like people there's been like three hundred fifty million dollars uh shared with Minecraft mod developers. Uh, I'm sure. It's really I weird. Mean, all of these I mean I'm I'm working with I'm working with Roblox developers right now, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of money there too. So yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, okay, so we're talking about games as a service, right? And you know, you've obviously you know really worked on some of the big ones. You know, we both worked on League. You've now worked on Apex. You worked on PUBG, which is you know a personal mm-hmm. favorite of mine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, why why do you think Gas has been such a good fit for you and you know, especially kind of the multiplayer online competitive space of Gas? That's a good question because it is it's like the only type of game that I've worked on so far. Um I think it's where I mean everybody sees that it's where the industry is going. It's where it's where like the business is going. Um I also think that it there's a lot more stability to it from a career um, perspective, like if you work on a successful game as a service, you are not uh, as soon as you ship scrambling to secure a loan for the next game and then hoping it doesn't flop. That's that's the AAA box on a shelf model, right? Like even the best developers in the world are living kind of precarious lives sometimes. Um, and I think I think actually like people who play games don't really appreciate that all the way. That like they I, there is a there is pent up 
unmet demand for more like non live service, like, you know, regular box games, um, which actually respawn does make those too, right? Like Jedi fallen order. Yeah. Um, but Pretty it well is too, from what I but understand. I, but I think we're able to do that in part because Apex is, you know, is keeping the lights on people, right? Like, like if we didn't have Apex, we would be in a much more precarious spot where we're going, okay, okay, let's do the next one, right? Like as soon as you ship, you got to go, you don't have any time to breathe. You got to, you got to keep the lights on. So you got to make the next, one. I, I don't love that. I'm not sure I would want to work at a studio that was dependent on that model. I think it would be, I would see it as a, um, a strategic weakness of the company. Well, What's fascinating for me is so I've worked primarily on mobile and PC. And yep. one of the things that Apex really proved was that there is this massive, I mean, massive audience on console for these games. Agreed. And I don't yep. know that anybody knew that before Apex. I think, you know, people had some proof points that there was something to be something there. Yeah. But everybody I think Fortnite, was, Fortnite did pretty well. But yeah. You're right. Fortnite is a good example. Um I guess Fortnite did beat you guys to console. So you're right. Mm -hmm. I I stand corrected. But I I think Fortnite, Apex, like I remember when like Warframe hit console and it did really well, but no one knew. Nobody had any idea that like the reason why that game was a success was because of console. Uh, It feels like the console component has been a big part of that factor. Do Do you think that goes back to what you're talking about where there's just this like... There's these developers who've been working on consoles and really in the last, you know, the market changed. All the mid-tier developers kind of got pushed out of console development because everyone was just going to go buy the AAA, the best of the best titles. Mm-hmm. And if you were like not that, you there was nowhere to be marked. You just didn't have a market. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that because of that shift, that that's why it was like almost like not something people were paying attention to until now where everyone realizes it's a huge opportunity and it has to be capitalized. I think like, it's a really interesting question. Um, people like developers want to make games that people will play and that people will pay for. Right. And so the only thing they can really go off of is like market data. Right. And I think there, it wasn't, there really wasn't like a bunch of these live service games on consoles that were like sharing these huge numbers where they would, you know, like there was the market data wasn't there. I think for a lot of a lot of people, maybe there were some exceptions, and they were keeping the numbers to themselves. Like I wonder, I always wonder how, like how big was Smite at its peak? Like I'm always because it was promoted a lot. Like it seems like maybe it was pretty big on consoles, and it was just kind of a sleeper. Probably probably it the was. same thing for probably the same totally thing for was. Minecraft for a long long time, right? Um, I mean, Smite definitely was bigger than anybody knew because. Yeah. I, as far as I, as far as I know, and you know, I'm going off of conversations, nothing, yeah. nothing factual, no hidden information. That was the bulk of their audience. Yeah, totally. It was. It's a scary thing. Like if you have, if if you're a studio and you make like games and you ship a sequel every two years or whatever, and you know that that'll work, it's pretty scary to just take the risk and start doing live service. So that's why a lot of people kind of like half-assed it and were like here's the box, but then all these, you know, like maybe we'll keep it going with some live service stuff. Kind of like you got to go whole hog if you really want to get the benefits, right? Like apex launches every three months. The season updates are like chunky and they are like, I'm actually, I, this is the first time I've worked in a studio where I'm like, are we doing too much? Like, what is, like, is the team going to be okay? Like, and it's weird. Cause we don't crunch, but like, they just put out so much stuff. Um, and you can't do that if you're half half foot in, right? You got to be no. you got to be all in to do that. Well, 
that was, you know, that question I didn't have for you that I totally should have on my list, but this is a great question. I mean, I've been kind of of the believer that League of Legends secret sauce was that it updated mm-hmm. every two weeks. Mm-hmm. I've been of the believer that Fortnite's update cadence is so consistent, so steady. It's part yeah. of secret sauce. Apex, on the other hand, you guys kind of came out and said, we're not going to update like that. Yeah, um, it's every six weeks, actually, because we do a you do mid-season yeah. patch, but it's six weeks. Yeah. But that's a Pe- long time. It is. Uh, people have taken it for granted at Riot. It's been an article of faith that that was part of the secret sauce. I'm not sure that it's true. I think um, I don't think people are that desperate for changes that every two weeks they have to have something. Um, I could be wrong, but like Apex, I've I've been it, it is a like remarkably stable game even in between the updates. Right, like it doesn't it doesn't fall off after two weeks. But it's it's probably going to be different game to game. Like I did a lot of I've done a lot of research like looking at games and seeing. I, I was thinking about this a lot, especially like a couple of years ago when TFT was about to come out. Like I was mm-hmm. really I was like, what is the right update cadence for a game? Like the engagement patterns on like Path of Exile are super spiky around their updates and they fall off so hard. But it's amazing because everybody comes back. Like they all come back. They come back, they play, they drop off. Like, and it, so that works for them, I guess, but it's kind of weird, right? Like Look Apex. At wow. Yeah, WoW's like that too, right? Like I'm pretty sure. Although it has a pr- probably a pretty solid floor that, that it well, gets to. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. but you think about how big some of those updates those expansions would be i mean yeah especially like when the first three or four of them it was like yep. the biggest deal in all of games it was yep. insane okay let's talk a little bit more about reddit because i feel like you know you've already kind of said this is a place you've been for a long time we're seeing reddit like kind of take over like i mean i you guys can't see it or but i have you know financial news on in my office <laughs> just kind of running <laughs> you know, Reddit kind of took over that channel for a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you've worked with, you know, pretty big subreddits leagues, obviously big PUBG's pretty big now apex. Like what is your pitch to other game companies who are under leveraging Reddit or I guess, can you over leverage it? Um, you can definitely over leverage it. I think, there was a point there was a point on league where I was overdoing it where I was just like trying to reply to every thread and like the primary outcome of that is that you get punished for it that people tag you on every th- thread that you didn't reply to and they're like hey where are you at like they become your boss right like they're cracking the whip as soon as it doesn't matter that it's 3 a.m. or whatever so that was like that was like a lot of stress i think it's really good for um just looking at conversation just seeing what people are saying like this was the never-ending debate at Riot was like, how much does r slash League of Legends and the conversation on it reflect the global player base? Because not all the global player base is English-speaking, and in fact, the majority isn't, right? And I mean, the overwhelming majority <laughs> is not, uh, right. I mean, League is League has a unique problem. Uh, yeah, it's that, pretty That was pretty a real weird. challenge for all of us, because 70 million of their ranked players are in China. Yeah. So... That was a big that was always a big problem there. I always thought that it doesn't it's not really about that. It's not about oh, it's not about figuring out what does the whole player base think. It's more about like it's actually pretty solid information source of is this thing working or not. Whatever the feature that you just shipped is, you can get it like if people don't like something about it, that's if they have bad feelings about it, usually there's they're trying to articulate to the best of their ability some feeling that they have. They had a gut reaction to think. 
Um, if they have a bunch of negative feelings about it, there's probably something to that. Like that's, I, I think that nine times out of 10, that's the case. So I just think it's really useful. If you can go in there as a developer and extract some interesting information of like, oh, I didn't think about how this would interact with this over here. Right. And you can learn something that then you can make the game better. Uh, I think it's useful. I think if you're trying to manage public conversation, it's not as useful. Really. You can just put out, you can put out stuff on your own channels and like Reddit will pick it up anyway. You don't have to go on Reddit to do that. Right. Is what I'm saying. But like, I think it's useful because it's like, I want to make sure that the devs feel like they're connected to players and that they understand how players are reacting to the thing they're making. Um, so sometimes Reddit is bad for that because they'll just it'll just be all noise and all yelling and like no there's no signal right it's just static. Uh, but if you like the thing I like to do is I, I like to come in and and if people need me to play that role of hey what is actually the problem here like break it down into component parts not just battle pass bad but like what is the specific thing that's happening and that results in changes to the game like if you get super clear feedback that way. So I think Reddit's super I think Reddit makes your game better. It's a kind of like an anarchic, uh, democratic voting system for what you should be focusing on as a developer. And you can ignore it, and maybe you should sometimes, but you can, there's a lot of valuable information in it, too. Oh, well, I liked your point there about, you know, hey, break this down for me. Don't just tell me this sucks, right? Yeah, totally. Why does it, why does it suck? Give me, give right. me the real skinny. And yeah. I think one thing I've always valued about Reddit is that people... You're talking about an audience that clearly likes to write. And so they're really <laughs> comfortable saying, okay, I'm going to go take 30 minutes or maybe longer, maybe yeah. less, if it's a, you know, depending on how big of the problem it is. And really like doing exactly what you asked, like breaking it down into digestible chunks that you can take back to a developer, you can take back to a producer and say, I think this is a pretty valid piece of feedback. What can we do with this? Yeah, that's, that's my favorite is when I can take something and I go, hey, this is pretty valid. There's something to this, right? And then they go, oh, okay. And like that has happened uh, uh, hundreds of times in the six months since I started Respawn. Like the developers are super, super open to that, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, do you see a change in developers? Like, do you see that they're more open to receiving feedback than this way? It depends because it really does hurt it's hurtful for people like for me too. Like when people are coming at you in, in a, in a super just hateful, you guys suck. You don't care about us kind of way. It, it turns people off. And I, I really have to like, sometimes I have to kind of be like, listen, man, you know, it, it's, it's just how these people are like, but look, there's some nugget of truth in here. Sometimes I have to, well, I have to polish the turd, you know? <laughs> uh, and then, Oh look, there's a diamond inside, uh, help people that way. But I think, I think if people are, if you if you keep doing it, if you do manage to engage, if you get a foothold in, if you can start having conversations like now we're doing we're doing regular blogs, we tweet all the time, we got devs who go on Reddit, we do seasonal AMAs. I feel like we've got our we can stand on our feet and not get knocked over, right? With hate, like whenever we jump in, it's then the level, the tone of the conversation changes, and it becomes easier for everybody at the studio to want to engage. That being said, it's like gaming culture overall is. Um. Oh Christ! How do I say this? I don't know. I just feel I feel like people jump to sp- sharing hate way too fast in in gaming in particular, and maybe maybe it's not gaming in particular. Maybe it's the internet overall because the whole thing is accessible at the moment. But I I, I think that the, like if you were to look at the overall state of how like what is it like when a game developer tries to talk to a player? It's like the 
the level of to- toxicity on average is like shockingly high. And you have to really, really work to get it down and to get where you can have a conversation. I don't, I don't feel that way for what it's worth. I don't feel that way about the Apex subreddit right now. I felt that way every day when I was working on PUBG. And I'll say that <laughs> that PUBG subreddit was gnarly. Well, okay. I mean, we've been talking for a little bit. Let's talk yeah, about sure. PUBG for a minute because it's a oh, game boy. I love. I yeah, love It's a PUBG. great game. It's a really great game. It's an amazing game. Some of the stuff they did was just like, I just white knuckle moments. I would play solo by myself late at night and it was like terrifying. Like it would, yep. you know, you would just hear like a rustle and you'd be like, what, what is yeah. going on? Um, but yeah, there's, there's clearly some stuff going on with the community. I, I deal with this a little bit when I work with international developers because they don't, Culturally, it's just so different. And, you know, I mean, this is a Korean yep. developer, so they're going to have cultural differences. And there's the language barrier. So there's language and culture. Um, you know, what, what if, what is, I mean, obviously you're working with a, a local developer now, or at least somewhat local uh, here in the yeah. States. Yeah. What would you say, knowing that now you've worked with an international developer and, you know, you've worked with, you know, developers at Riot and Respawn, what would you say that international developers, what, 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 what bridge, what additional bridge would you push to have if you were to go back into that world where you're working with an international dev team? Additional bridge. It was, I mean, you, you, you nailed it, right? Like the challenges are, A, like not everybody can talk to players, even if they wanted to. Um, B, the cultural differences mean that their expectations of how players players will react to things is not always aligned with how they actually will when you're talking about a place like Reddit, right? Because Reddit is not the same as a Korean game. Um, I mean, I there's so many things. Like PUBG was such a breakout hit. Like that, there was I forget the exact number, but it was like not much more or less than 20 people when the game really started skyrocketing. Yeah. Um. I mean, skyrocketing. I mean, it it became the fifth best selling game of all time in like a very short period in like in like a year. Uh, it was. I think it it ha- it definitely hadn't been out of beta, right? Like the full release. It was like only a few months before it was like number five of all time, and it was like you know above it is Tetris, Super Mario Bros, GTA Five, and Minecraft, right? Like that's that's the the level. And this so there's a team of like people who were not ready for that incredibly talented incre- and so so that makes it even more impressive what they've been able to do with it right but like that the expectations then for the game were that it was going to be like this insanely well established thing right like on on that level of like world shattering triple a success and there was just so there was tech debt i don't know if you remember the fix PUBG campaign we did oh yeah oh we're yeah. just trying we're just trying to do anything and like they're trying they are trying so hard those developers care they really do care like yeah, so much and i think players just they didn't understand they thought that they they're like they've made so much money why isn't it just better it's like dude cuz you can't just pour money into problems right well and like not like i don't know anybody on the development team at pubg so this is yeah. not a knock on any of them and again yeah. like this is the only game in my Steam catalog that has a thousand hours on it. Probably right. the only hardcore game I've played for that long. You know, I'm sure I've played some mobile games, some light stuff here and there at that level. Mm-hmm. So I love PUBG, but let's be real. You're talking about a game that got AAA expectations, but was built on a single A, maybe a double A budget. That's true. Yeah. To start with this in particular. 
I mean, and it just kind of rolled out. Like, they were like, all right, we got a map and the guns work and let's go, baby. And it was a mega hit. And then, you know, the, you know, the, the, the genre itself appeared. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I played Daisy at PAX one year with the Kerbal Space Program guys. And they were like, yeah. well, this and this, because they were, I was literally on a panel with Dean Hall. I was moderating yeah. the panel. The moderator like backed out the last minute. And so I was lucky enough to get to go up with, Felipe and you know one of the other KSP developers and two of the DayZ devs. It was awesome, right? Like what a cool moment. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I've never played. I should really play this game. I played it and I was like, this is amazing, but I never want to play again because <laughs> I'm I'm never gonna be I never I felt like inadequate as a gamer to like compete at that level. So yeah. when so when the Battle Royale genre came out, it's like, hey, you get that same experience, but it's in this tight loop where you get to go right. again and again and again and again and again. Right. And then maybe once every thousand games, I'm good enough to win. <laughs> I mean, it was mind boggling, right? I mean, yeah. it, it was just like, this is a, just a totally different experience. Okay. Now you've worked on two Battle Royale games, like, and you've worked on MOBA. Um, talk to me a little bit about the difference in the communities between the two. Um, it's actually way more similar than you would think. Apex Legends is just like League of Legends as a BR. I I really think like the everything from the way the characters work, and you know they're they're straight up just legend designers who were League of Legends champion designers. Daniel Klein, the level like the way he articulates his balance changes is it is the exact same vibe as uh you know what you'd expect from from League of Legends or something like that. And a, a thing you would say you were talking about the loop for. Battle Royale like that. I think the the, it, the more you think about it, the more similarities there really are between Battle Royale and mobile. It's like this, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, maybe 20 minutes with Apex, like kind of experience where you power up very rapidly. You get like a full RPG storyline in one game. Um, you know, characters, inventory management, all that stuff is like it is it is like a tight little mini RPG that you're playing in competition against other people. Um so I don't know. I see a lot of similarities. I think w- the farming, biggest similarity, looting, yeah, farming, looting. It's straight up, dude. So the biggest similarity between Apex and League, though, is the type of uh, character dynamics th- that people get into beyond the game. So like, they love the characters, they love the art, they love the story. Like, it feels to me, it's like a, um, it's a similar type of like fandom uh, in that you're you're trickling these characters out, and they, you just get a little tiny taste of like who they are in the game itself just little quips from them um you know horizon you know hey you go darling like whatever like that's all you really get in game but there's this whole rich thing building up around it outside um which is actually more fun to work on as a marketing person too because like the marketing channels are the vehicles for that story that doesn't fit into the game so the marketing feels like it's part of the it's actually is part of the delivery mechanism right like our YouTube channel is like where you're learning that Valkyrie's dad was Viper from Titanfall two. Right. So it feels like, um, I don't know. You were asking about how the communities are similar, but I think that that's like an overall similarity between the dynamics that makes, uh, makes me like working on these kinds of games. And I, and then I do think it results in some similarities between the communities too. Is it, I, I think there's also like, I mean, obviously we want games to be fun, and the yeah. competitive aspect is part of that fun. But, you know, for me, one of the big differences between like playing basketball or golf, which I love to do, 
um, and playing like one of these games is that there is this like, there's this greater context that, that you get from the storytelling that you get from having characters. I guess the comparison for sports would be you get, you get behind a pro team or a pro player, or, you mm, know. Mm-hmm. but um, there's that fun aspect to it that I think you're touching on, right. Where the community starts to get to adopt that they get to participate in that, whether it's through fan art or content creation. Yeah. And they identify with whatever their character is, right? Like this mains, I'm an octane main or, or whatever people, people are. Um, that, and that kind of like, it's, then it's super funny because you see the different archetypes of players kind of manifesting. Like, um, I mean, Yasuo players really are more toxic, right? Like, like League of Legends, like that's just a fact. Uh, I don't know what the equipment, yeah, people, people, people think that Wraith is that way for Apex, right? Yeah. Wraith is the, and then like Watson mains are just sweet little, you know, just lovely little fence makers. They're, they're beautiful. They're, they're sweet people. And, uh, yeah, you know, Horizons. I don't know what would be the League of Legends equivalent of Horizon. Uh, I don't know. Come She's on, Shay, you're level Nunu. 17 now in League. Nunu and Willem. <laughs> uh, ooh, I like that. Like, like really annoying movement comes out of nowhere. Um, well, it Nunu and Timo Willem. Too. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least we don't have an invisible character uh, yet. Full, well, Mirage, Mirage, arguably. Ryan. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Mirage is Teemo. That's that's for sure. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about the challenges of talking to the communities uh, on the like Reddit. What about the the content creator? Right. The Apex really, you know, did such a fantastic job of, you know, really building a community first approach with the launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was, you know, it got them a lot of notoriety and then the game ebbed and flowed, but then it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I always liked it because it felt like, okay, as long as they're in this for the long haul, this was absolutely the right place because, right. you know, if you're in it for the long haul, those people will come back and check in. And when they do, if they like what you're doing, it gives you a real opportunity but on the communication side, you know, they might, we see this all the time. I mean, I always think about, we talk about PUBG. When Shroud was playing PUBG, I watched a lot of Shroud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would watch him play other games and it was because he's so good. Yeah, but, you he's know, nuts at everything. He's tough on a game, right? Like, yeah. you know, because he's so good, he can be really tough on a game and he can really, you know, get to the, 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 he could carve you up, uh, you know? And I guess my question is, Oh, like, with his like criticisms and stuff. Yeah. 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 He just says what he thinks and more power to him. Right. I mean, if right. you were, if I were that good at clicking heads, I would be saying whatever. Oh. On the internet. His like no scope or like, you know, like just like blink. It's like a blink scope. Yeah. I'm not using yeah, it. He's right earned phrase. it, dude. He's insane. But like, yeah. you know, what's your perspective on, you know, working with them, uh, knowing that, you know, one minute they're going to be your best friend and the next minute, they're going to give you a crisis to manage. I my thinking on this has changed a lot. Um, in even in the last few months, although the seeds for it were really planted like about a year ago. So about a year ago, I won't say who it was, but we were working on TFT, and there was a really big TFT streamer, and we were just like we were trying to do like influencer programs or whatever. Like we didn't know what we were doing, but we were just like we knew we needed something, right? I yeah. don't know, give them some skin. Like let's not just like ignore these people, right? Who are like it's their job to play our game, and they have like tens of thousands of people watching. So we started talking to this uh, streamer, and they were like, um, 
you know, we're telling them about the program and we were, we were asking them, we were like, Hey, what, what, but what do you really want from us? What do you need from us? Like, what would be the thing we could do for you? Cause we want, we want a good relationship with creators and streamers and anybody with an audience. Obviously there's business incentives there, but also you do kind of, you like these people. You want to, you watch these people like at work, you care about what they think as a person working the game. Um, cause they're, they're playing at the highest level. They're literally influential. Um, so I think I think people miss that too. People think that developers only care about influencers because of their audience, but I think like developers have like a personal attachment in some ways to some of these people. Anyway, we're asking this person, what can we do for you? And his answer uh, was something I thought about for a long time. He said, "Just make the game more popular, <laughs> like because that way more people wa- be watching his streams because there'll be more people that care about the game, right?" And that kind of set me on this path to thinking. And now my thinking is, I'm, I'm at this point where. I, I'm realizing that lots of people engage as creators of their game just because they like it, but a lot of them are in the market for an audience. Like they're kind of entrepreneurial about it, right? They are trying, they're not going to do a podcast if nobody listens. They're not going to do a stream if nobody watches. If there's a ton of people watching, there's, there's ways for them to grow as a creator and benefit from that. And it sounds obvious when you say it, but then you start to think like, oh, if we can grow our game, if we can bring our game to a new platform like Steam or Switch or a new region, and that that puts more fans into the ecosystem, then creators are going to be paying more attention. Like straight up, like Apex has had a really good season. You see it. You see creators tweeting about, yo, look at my numbers, dude. Like they're hyped. They're excited to be a part of it, right? So I think to whatever extent you can, making it so that your creators are thriving while you're thriving is the best thing you can do. How do you do that? I think it's like easier said than done. Um, but if you, I mean, you know, Oh, easy, just make your game a huge success. Like, <laughs> okay. So I mean, what's the point then? You know, like what a, what a helpful answer, but I, re- I really do. I think there's that dynamic there and people have to be like kind of cognizant of how can you help creators succeed? So we're actually doing something this season that we're going to announce like this week where we're just, we we're paying people for their art. We're putting their art in the game. We're highlighting them, right? Like we're connect. We're saying we want these people to grow. Like that. If that's our mentality, you thrive, we thrive. Then then obviously we should do that. We should integrate them in the game more and try to boost people directly. And especially people who are like, um, they're they're established, they're doing good stuff, but they're not like at that level where they don't need anybody's help, right? Like so, Shroud doesn't come to mind for this. Shroud doesn't need us right. at all. Uh, I think there's some people that were like for, in the Apex scene. There's some people who were like smaller just a little while ago, and now you're like, ah, they're good. They're gonna be. We're still gonna work with them. Right? I'm not saying you you ditch them or whatever, but it's like focus on the people who really need the help. Like Nicewig, that kid's a star, man. He's going places, and nobody can slow him down. Like he's a star. So I mean, whatever. We we'll, we invite him to our capture events. We're always going to because we love that kid to death. But we're trying to for when I talk about like facilitating people's growth, trying to make people grow with you. It's like, how do you find the next nice wig? Um, that's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I asked that exact question to somebody who I was just networking with. He mm-hmm. did like his, he's a student still and he did a thesis. And I thought, and I asked that question and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think there's an answer. Right. But it's, mm-hmm. I, and I think we talked about it at Riot. I know some of the other people we worked with, we would discuss that. How do you scout streaming talent? How do you scout YouTube talent? It's, it's a really interesting one. Okay. Look, um, we're, we're getting pretty deep here and I want to ask a few questions before we, we, um, let you go back to work because I know you probably have a lot to do. I'm sure you're playing a ton of apex legends, but what, what else are you playing right now? 
Um, dude, okay. I got super into ranked blitz chess on like the chess.com app. It is, you know, you only have five minutes each. It is like, ins- it is insanely intense. It is so good. Uh, and I'm garbage, but I'm, but the matchmaking systems, well, I mean, it's ELO, like that's where ELO came from, or, you know, came from chess. It's insanely good. I'm having so much fun. So I'm mostly doing that. Um, which is weird for me because I've never really I've never played chess before, but I, I kind of set out to begin this year and I and I wanted to learn. Um, so mostly that I played a little bit of Hades recently. Queen's uh, Gambit. Um, yeah, Queen's. I did watch Queen's Gambit. Yeah, I was a little I was a little bit inspired by Queen's Gambit. It, it's that's a great TV show, but I've always wanted to learn too, right? So it's kind of the the push I needed. Okay, so then I'm going to assume my next question is like, what's a fascinating community that's drawing your attention? I assume you're going to say chess. Um. You know, it actually wasn't going to be the first thing that came to mind because I think it's chess. The chess community is very nascent when you think of like the online portion of it. Like the the community that's established around chess is so ancient and dusty and just like it's deeply rooted in uh, all over the world. Right. But like it's not very online. Like they only have like two or three. That's unfair. They have more than two or three influencers, but there are a few that stand out. And then like a bunch of people who you really, they should be bigger given the level of quality of the stuff they're doing. Um, So maybe that is interesting that it's this old game with a very nascent community that is actually growing. I see it growing super quickly. Um, Like chess esports is already a thing and will continue being a thing. Um, I was going to say though, like most interesting community um, I do not understand Roblox at all, and I really, I intend to find out. Like, I'm gonna find out how Roblox works I, if it kills me. And I, I, because every kid I talk to plays, and I don't even know how they heard about it because this game is like old. Like, how did <laughs> how did they find this game? Um, and what even I even when I try to play it, I'm just like, am I playing the right games? Because you know, it's a bunch of different stuff, and half of them don't make any sense to me. So I'm really trying to under understand that better. I think it's fascinating. Uh, well, if you want to know more, hit me up offline because um, I have two kids obsessed with Roblox and it's pretty much like all we talk about uh, if I can get them to talk to me. I will, <laughs> I will do that. I'm joking. They talk to me plenty. Um, okay. I do have one more thing just because I know we have time, but we may cut it. I don't know. Um, I want to talk about TFT because okay. um, I have a funny TFT story. All right. And um, I thought, I forgot you worked on it. So I thought you'd appreciate it. So I, when TFT went to iPad, I jumped on it and I loved it. I Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun, but I wasn't very good. Like, you know, I was just like kind of toiling in bronze. And uh, um, uh, someone I've worked with on a couple different projects in the industry, her husband and her are both like top 500 in North America. Wow. So I don't think they were at the time, but I think they are now. Yeah, they're like legit. And so uh, this was, uh, I, I think, Galaxy. So this was like about a year ago. Yep. Um, do you remember that 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 card? Yeah, totally. uh, Set. Yeah. So she basically said, "Look, um, just play this set, and just follow it. Just just do it every time." And I climbed all the way to gold one. And the <laughs> nice. reality is I probably would have climbed higher. Mm. I would have climbed higher, but I stopped playing. I was like, I, I just wanted to hit gold and I did. And then I stopped playing. And then when the new set came along, I played about once and was like, I'm done. I'm not going to play anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And so this is this is why this is, and this is where like the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to get your like your take on this. But I had this moment where I realized I'm never going to be good at this game because to be good at this game, it has nothing to do with playing the game and everything to do with the meta game outside it. Mm-hmm. There's there's no real skill to TFT. I mean, there's some, but that's not why you win. You win mm-hmm. because you're better at strategy than mm-hmm. everybody else. And so I kind of churned because I was just like, I'll never have the time to put into this. I, I'm just curious, like, the reason why I'm bringing this up is, A, I know you know TFT, but I'm also curious because you've worked on games with really high, like, um, skill caps. You know, League, you have to, like, you know, the way Faker plays League uh, will never match, no matter how hard we try, um, no matter how good we get at the meta. Um, and obviously the same with shooters. We talked about shroud. Mm-hmm. Like, do you see that there is, um, like, do you see that as a problem or is actually a good thing for, for games that don't have the skill cap? I used to think that it was like a big, big problem. Um, and I would, I would divide it up into like mechanics, right? Like that's kind of what we, like his mechanics are really good or, or whatever is, is a, is a phrase people say. Um, yes. Uh, Faker's mechanics are nuts, but so is his game knowledge, right? Um, TFT only has mechanics in in the scenario where you realize that you need to rapidly shift your team comp to another build, right? And then you're like selling and rerolling like hyper fast, right? Um, and for that reason, my wife was able to get plat. Uh, sorry, to, sorry, to, gold one is good, but my wife got plat, and she's like not a gamer, right? But she's a smart, strategic thinker. That's not a that's not a dunk by the way, Bob. I mean, yeah, <laughs> she's she's a smart strategic thinker, so she got Dude, all the way dunk to dunk away. <laughs> um, and but it's because like she didn't need that. She didn't have years of practice like doing you know super fast twitch movements with the mouse and keyboard, right? But she didn't need that for that game. So I think that is I think that was a really amazing thing about TFT. I think it always kept her from playing League of Legends, um, and it'll probably keep her from playing Apex Legends too. Um, not that she would have time anyway, because we have a baby now. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just a matter of barriers. But it's surprising to me how many people there are for whom it's not a barrier. Like given the given the overall size of League of Legends and Apex Legends, like there are apparently enough people in the world within with good enough mechanics that it's like you know it doesn't stop that many people. But the gaming would be bigger if there were more games like TFT, and I really wish there were more games like TFT. Uh, TFT is a great game. I mean, I really enjoyed it when I played it. It was just once I realized, okay, to actually be good at this game, it's not just about this like mechanical part, as you so aptly put it. Mm-hmm. It's really about the strategy and understanding how the synergies between the cards work or the champions. Um, it, it, I, I would say it, it, it hastened me to an early retirement, probably just because again, like I had uh, tips and advice from like, super high elite player. And once I realized, Oh, they're just always going to, there's always going to be someone that's just going to have more time to think through the strategy. I, Mm -hmm. I, I kind of, I guess I kind of gave it up, but um, I think it's really interesting. And I think it also goes to show you why esports is real, you know, because of both reasons, the mechanical and the strategic, you think, Oh yeah. Great sport. Absolutely. You know, you grew up, you grew up in SEC country. You 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 know that football isn't just about who's the biggest and the fastest, right? You know you got to have a you know a Nick Saban on your sideline as well. Yeah, totally, man. 
All right, cool, man. This was amazing. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. Uh, good luck with the um, with everything at on Apex and at Respawn. And you know, I'm I'm sure Shay will be asking me when we can have you on again. I really enjoyed it. Always like talking to you and Shay. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me, guys. That's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening to the Community Feedback Loop podcast. You can listen to previous episodes for more conversations with other amazing people we've met in the video games industry. And please subscribe to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify to support the show. We'll catch you next week.